Welcome everybody to Catfish Weekly presented by Whiskerware Apparel along with Chuck Davis and I'm Lyle Stokes and I would like to welcome for the first time as a co-host on the show Tim Doc Lang. How you doing Tim? I'm doing great. Thanks Lyle. Hey Chuck. Man, we are so glad to have you on here. I think that the third party getting the, uh, the third guy back on the show will make it uh, better for more content and uh, something that we hadn't really told a lot of people about is we're going to have a section uh, during the end of the show uh, where we're going to have tips and tricks that you're going to share with everybody and we'll try to do that every week and that ought to be a really bunch of fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think we're going to have, uh, I'm just going to make them a little short things. Uh, they, it's probably things that people know, already know but for those that don't, you know, it may help them out with something. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, uh, Chuck and I was talking before before you come on the show about bait wells and live wells, and, and uh, we need to dedicate a show to that one of these nights, and I know you'd be a great help with that. Uh, another thing that we, we need to talk about is is a correct way to measure fish. Uh, you know, we just have a whole bunch of subjects, and... and uh, I have, we've been trying to get Jason Bridges on with us to do a safety show, but if we can't get Jason, I know he's terribly busy this time of year. Maybe we can get in here and, and do one of those amongst us uh, or, or pick up Chris Jones or somebody to help us out with it, but we really need to do a show on safety. I think that we should do a show on safety at least once every year. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that, especially with uh, even if it's. Wearing the life jackets and stuff like that. I just went to the inflatable PFD, and now I don't, you know, because I'm getting older, and I, I just don't want to fall off that boat. And so uh, I want to make sure well, I wear it. <laughs> so I just absolutely. Went to we went to those. We went to those a couple of years ago, and, and there's for a couple of real obvious reasons. I have severe shoulder damage, and I'm not supposed to be doing well. I can't lift my left arm over my head. And Cindy has uh, bunches and bunches of knee surgeries and a replacement stuff. She can't swim. So if we get, one of us get in the water, we got to have a way to get the other one out. And uh, yeah. uh, the, I think those inflatables are something, you know, they're, they've come down in price. They're, they're not uncomfortable like some of the older ones are. And a safety show, I think, is, is something that we need to get in the works. What do you think about that, Chuck? Yes, man. That's, um, you know, something we have to do. And I think the um, – you know, the, the winter safety is a little bit more important because of the survival rate in the cold water. Um, you know, and that needs to be going over, too, even if we do it in the spring. But, you know, I think, uh, uh, you know, on around Christmas, um, you know, and go over the cold water safety also, I think, uh, you know, it should be, you know, it's about mandatory for me to have life vest on all the time uh, during the winter because you never know what's going to happen. Um, you know, you got a lot of clothes on, they get heavy and you're ready to get pulled under. It's hard to get pulled back in the boat. Um, you know, just so much can go wrong. Well, you know, we've got a, we have a, um, uh, what do you call it, a stair step thing that, that uh, we have from another boat, from our old boat. And I think that I'm going to start carrying that at everything. That way, if you got to throw a rope to whoever, if somebody gets in the water, you're going to have to get a rope to them. And get them pulled up to the boat because we're always in current. And if you can get them around to the stair, it's a, just a plastic hang-on stair 
they can get back in the boat because let's face it, these boats that everybody's getting are bigger and better and this and that. And uh, the bigger and better they are, the harder they are to get in and out of. Right. Right. So, well, we'll we'll work on that and get that all set up. Welcome to the show, Doc. Uh, tonight, everybody, we are lucky enough to to be able to have Bobby Wright, and Bill Reno from the Arizona Catfish Association on the show with us tonight. And I'm sure I've I've done that wrong, but you can you can straighten this out. Bobby, thank you guys so much for being on the show. You said have done a show with us down at the Catfish Convention, and we had a lot of audio difficulties and stuff. So thank you guys for coming on the show, and and uh, uh, we're going to go over a bunch of stuff we talked about then and some new stuff. Thank you very much for having us. Uh, pretty glad to be here this evening. You know, there, you guys are doing a lot of great things down there for catfish conservation, and you all do a bunch of tournaments, and, and you have an outstanding number of members and a bunch of guys that show up for your tournaments. But I, I want you, before we get done tonight, because I'm going to let the other guys ask you some questions, I want to know how you're catching all them giant flatheads out there in the wild, wild west. Well, we started off with fishing in the water, and uh, we use a lot of bait. But, no, it's a... Uh, <laughs> Well, after after meeting you guys and, and spending a little bit of time with uh, the Tennessee River monsters and fishing Watts Bar Lake back there for a couple hours, you know the the techniques and the strategies are dynamically different. Um, you know, you guys you guys are fishing with a lot of cut bait, and uh, a lot of us out here fishing with live bait, uh, bigger sunfish and bluegill, and, and upwards of you know powder to carp. Uh, after talking with a lot of guys back there and. You know, a lot of us out here are using using our main boats to get us in the general vicinity of where we want to fish, and then using kayaks and uh, and using larger reels with spooled up with you know hundreds of yards of line to cover more area. Um, we fish a lot of landlocked, pretty much reservoirs that aren't really they're not really maintained as a as a fishery as much as they're maintained as a reservoir. So, you know, it's just it's. There's so much about it that's different. You know, so much that's the same, but so much that's different at the same time. Most all our fishing at night, too. I mean, that was another glaring difference is most all of our, those big flathead, 90% of them are all caught in the middle of the night. Uh, I seen some of those fish you caught down there with Scott Manning, and they was outstanding. That was great fish. Yeah, he, uh, he kind of knocked this Arizona boy's expectations out of the water. I was just... Uh, just happened to get out and get on a, on a waterway, and yeah, and uh, Bryce was was one of the guys that there was the guy that took us out with with Captain Scott, and uh, yeah, he put us on nine fish that went 255 pounds. So definitely, that, that was a surprise from Arizona boy. Bryce definitely. I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine anybody not enjoying that. You know, and flatheads are the king of cats. So uh, yeah. Well, listen, guys, let's get started with it. Chuck, are you ready to uh, see what these guys are all about down in Arizona? Oh, yeah, I'm ready. Welcome, Reno. Welcome, Bobby. How y'all doing today? Good, Chuck. How about you? Good, good. Have y'all been, y'all been at it this year already? been at it this year already? I actually spent uh, Thursday night in Yeah, I was able to get a few to the boat. We got a couple of the boat. Awesome. Um, have y'all started your tournaments yet? We had uh, the first tournament of the year was actually two weeks ago uh, at, at uh, one of the lakes, local lakes here, Lake Pleasant. Uh, it's, it's normally it's a it's an early tournament. Bait's really tough, so we had a we had 44 guys 
Um, went for three days and two nights. I think the winning fish was a <laughs> tiny, tiny fish for in our standards. And, and the first time a channel catfish has ever taken a first place in one of our tournaments, it was a 9.3 pound channel cat that ended up taking the event. So shocking. Great. So um, y'all don't let Chris Joshua and uh, Flathead Ed fish with y'all, do you? <laughs> As a matter of fact, they fished the same boat. They, they both fished the tournament, and they both fished on the same boat. And uh, I'll probably catch some flack for this, but I didn't see either one of them. Actually, they were at Sunday's weigh-in, but they both got the – they were both waving the old stone flag. They both weren't lucky enough to get on any. I think they both caught bait that was bigger than the, the fish that was weighed in. I think I heard that. They both caught some carp that were in the 7, 8, 9, 10-pound range. Yeah, I've seen flat um – Flathead Ed, he uh, you know, he goes big or goes home. From what I've seen, he's uh, he likes those large, large flatheads. Yeah, he's uh, he's spending upwards of 40, 45 weekends a a year on the water, and he's definitely putting his time in. So yeah, he's he's got the the flathead number for sure. Great. Um, so on uh, the the on your participants, uh. You know, is it most most of the guys are they in John boats or pontoons or runabouts? Uh, you know, what kind of uh, mixtures do y'all have out there on the type of vessels used for y'all's tournaments? I'd say a good fifty percent of them are are pretty well equipped pontoon boats, and then you've got a mixture of you know fish and ski and runabouts and you know your standard twenty foot fiberglass boat, and then you've got You've definitely got the the, the class of, of smaller boats that run at the events. So, plus we uh, we we allow uh, shore fishermen in our events too. So we've got a lot of guys that uh, that don't even have the access to boats and, and are using kayaks or rafts or whatever to run baits out. So, cool. I mean, how how does that uh, how's that been working out for y'all allowing uh, shore fishermen and vessel fishermen in the same tournament? It's actually uh, hasn't been. Haven't had any issues at all. You know, we've we've got a pretty well established set of rules. Uh, you know, a, a very good group of guys that fish our events, and uh, you know, we're polygraphing first through third, so it's kind of a real good deterrent for anybody that's out there fishing that has a chance to uh, even think about you know maybe doing something that's against the rules. You know, if they come in with a placing fish, they're gonna they're gonna be hooked up and uh, and have a polygraph done. You know, that's just it's kind of one of those things that keeping the integrity of, of the club's name and keeping the integrity of the tournament's name and our names that that we just uh, we, we choose to go with the polygraph. But at the same time, we've kind of tried to keep this uh, definitely a community event with with families and wives and kids. And so we didn't, at least I didn't feel like uh, you know making it a, a vessel only or, or a boat only event. Um, so maybe we've seen we've seen. Overwhelming success with every aspect of it, you know. So, you know, uh, tournaments, the short fishermen have placed in the top five every tournament. That, that channel cat that won the last tournament was actually caught offshore. Yeah, they, they do really well, actually. Yeah, you know, a lot a lot of tournaments, especially when when the when the bites um, really tough, and and you 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 see yourself sitting on fish for you know long amount of time. Um, you know, that's the advantage they got, you know, sitting there keeping that bait out there in the same spot, you know, and the, 
the guys in the vessels, they'll just pick up and move around a lot, which the, the shore fishermen don't have, you know, aren't able to do that. Do you, do you allow them to get in the car and, and drive to a different spot or anything, or do they have to stay in the same spot on the bank? How does that work? No, they're uh, all the shore fishermen, uh, because of the way our local gaming fish department works, another thing that's dynamically different is you're not allowed to transport any live bait, in this, live bait or live fish in the state of Arizona. So I have to obtain, as a tournament director, I have to obtain a special permit for our shorebound guys to be able to, to be able to move around throughout the lake. But they're, they're given a set of boundaries when they receive the permits, and uh, they have to stay within those boundaries. But, you know, we're fishing, we're fishing uh, just pretty much dammed up mountain ways, you know, um, big valleys that have been filled up with water and used for, for the city's reservoir system. So... You know, most of the stuff we're fishing, you can scan them. So, we've uh, we've we've had pretty pretty good success with the way we're doing it up to this point. Are are most of your reservoirs out there? Are they uh, mapped with Navionics and and the other uh, type cars? Do you, so, um, are are you do you have that advantage to be able to do your research before you fish? Oh yeah, yeah. You can buy the carts uh, for for the majority of the lakes. I know I've got them for. For the, for the lakes that I fish, I've got them in my my fish for my my electronics. But yeah, they they are available. Cool. So the you know the bank guys they can uh, you know download the Navionics app on their phone and you know they'll they'll know what the uh, you know the structures like and the uh, the ledges and stuff you know in the area they're fishing instead of just having no idea what's out in front of them like the good old days. Absolutely. Yeah. And and. and an overwhelming majority of people are using kayaks that have electronics on the kayaks. So, you know, they're not just running baits out to where they think. You know, they're actually, they're placing baits with precision, you know, dropping them down down through the water column and placing them in the or whatever they think the fish is going to fight. So, they, uh, you know, they might not have the ability to cover the, the large amount of area that a guy in a boat can, but they can definitely, uh, you know, that's one of the advantages of running Three or four hundred yards of, of line on your one of your reels is you can you can run a bait out three hundred fifty yards and, and pull it back to you every every ten minutes reel it in twenty feet or so and you know you start covering some serious ground. Yeah, that's uh you know I was watching the guys you know seeing a lot of their uh, photos when Team USA went over to compete in Europe and you know they were bank fishing at the time and. Um, you know that's how they were doing. They they had kayaks that would bring their their bait out, and you know the anglers would tell them, you know, tell the kayak, you know, to the left more, to the left more, you know, out more, drop it right there. So the angler is able to communicate with the kayak, even though he's not part of the team, and is able to tell them exactly where they want them to drop the bait. So, um, you know that. I don't. Y'all are probably one of the only tournament trails that I've actually heard of that is allowing bank fishermen. It seems like it's working out pretty good for y'all. Yeah, I can't think of one event in in seven years that we've been doing this that I've been doing it, and probably going on a good four and a half years that the club's been doing it. I can't think of one one placing in any event that's been contested. You know, it's we we might have had our issues with uh, you know a guy. Suspected of using too many poles here and there, or, you know. Uh, but I haven't had any issues with uh, with with anything arising from a shore fishing standpoint. 
Yeah, I, mean, I was thinking, you know, ha having everybody, the uh, the vessels and the bank fishermen competing against each other instead of having two separate classes of, of entries and, and being able to have a, a very competitive, um, you know, event like that. Um, you know, it seems like, you know, the, the bank fishermen say, hey, it's not fair. They're in boats and they can get to better places. Um, but it just seems like, hey, if you want to enter it, and fish from the bank, you know, that's your prerogative, um, you know, so you can't gripe about it because you're willing to pay the entry and do it. So it seems like it's working out and they're holding their own. Absolutely. Yeah. My, the, the second flat, the, the second annual flat cat classic was actually won by a, a 64.2 pound flathead that was caught up short and, uh, everything, everything checked out on that one. So yeah, you know, it's, a uh, Things are so different than what you guys fish back there. You know, it's, it's, it's. I'd say it's definitely not the norm for us to, to move, move spots, uh, let alone multiple spots a night. You know, I myself, I, I have done it. Um, it's usually for, for more for of a, of a neighboring uh, situation, not more than chasing the fish. Um, but then again, you know, we don't have running water. Other than a couple times a year, when the water's running, you know, a lot of us definitely chase the fish that time. But for the most part, I'd say most of us, most of us take a spot out and call it home for the evening. Uh, when the, uh, you know, the on the lakes around here, you know, our lakes are probably, you know, we've got some that, well, most of them on the Tennessee River, except for Wilson, are like 60 miles long. And believe it or not, it's very hard to find a place to bank fish. Um, I mean, you can research, um, you know, you can go up under a bridge here and there or fish from a park pier. Um, well, most parks don't even allow you to fish from the uh, boating piers. But, um, you know, it's places like that, you know, is, is you know, really places you would expect to do really good. So uh, do y'all have... Um, like most of your bank where you can uh, have access to fish mostly all the way around these reservoirs from the bank? You know, the interesting thing about our reservoirs is they fluctuate in levels so much because all they are is, is reservoirs to hold irrigation water. So it's it's not uncommon for from the high to the low to range 45, 50 foot difference. And so, you know, it all depends on how full the reservoir is and how much shore space there is and how accessible it is. Obviously, when the lakes are lower, there's tons of shore space. But when the lakes oh, are full, yeah. you know, we've been running into the exact same problem that you have on the Tennessee River there, that there's there's not very many places that are accessible. So it just depends, and, and the water is controlled by an agency that, you know, they don't really care about fish. They only care about, you know, where the water is and, and when it's needed and how much it's going to cost to get it where they need it to be. Right. So that that's about the only time the bank fishermen don't have – uh, that type of advantage is when you're at full pool and, and they have a hard time to get into the places that they would like to fish. Yep. Um, but any other time, they got just as good an advantage as anybody else. Scott Woody, he, uh, do you guys do any drifting or do you primarily just anchor for flatheads? Did y'all get that, guys? Uh, yep. Scott, Scott Woody has a question. Oh, oh. Do you guys do any drifting, or do you primarily just anchor for flatheads? It's I'd say I can't. I've heard a lot of talk of drifting, but uh, nobody that I know drifts much of it all. 
it pretty much is anchoring and, and fishing that way to suspend it or casting or running your baits out from there. I guess the only really drifting we do is, is fishing with balloons and letting the balloons blow in the wind a little bit, but there's hardly little or no current in our lakes at all. So any drift fishing that would be done would be done with the balloon and just letting a little bit of a breeze take that balloon across the surface of the water. That would be the equivalent of our drift fishing. <laughs> yeah. I got you. Yeah, um, the, is there any guys that usually just go out and uh, only target channel cats, or do most guys go out and target flatheads only? Uh, the overwhelming majority target target flatheads. I, with the with the flat cat class event, there is a separate category for channels, and there's there's a I know of 15 or 20 guys that come out and just target the channel cat category for that event. But you know, there, there's still uh, the overwhelming majority of us are going for the for the top tier. We're going for the flatheads. Plus, the the size differential from a channel to a flathead here is is astronomical. I mean. All right, guys. Well, um, it was great meeting y'all in person, and I hope y'all get to come out for the second annual Catfish Conference. And I'm so glad y'all got a chance to get out and do some fishing in this area. It seemed like y'all had a great time. So I'm going to pass you on to Doc, and uh, it's been great talking with y'all. All right. Thanks, Chuck. Nice meeting you out there as well. We'll definitely be at the second annual. Hey, Bobby and Bill. How you doing? Good, sir. How are you? Very good. Good. Uh, Jerry Dillard does have a question here. He wants to know how long has the ACCA been holding catfish tournaments? Uh, the ACCA has been holding the, the, the club event since 2013. Okay. We're right. still a club. I myself have been running events since 2011. Okay. Uh, I've got a few questions here. What is your bait of choice out there? What do you mainly use for bait? If it was up to me, I, I would pick a one-pound carp or a, a, a bluegill about the size of your hand. Those would be my, my two optimal baits. Okay. I'd have to agree with that. And where are you guys hooking them at? Uh, right, pretty much. Uh, if I'm using a pound or a bigger carp, I'll go with a I'll go with a, a, a cannot king kale right behind the back fin, and then I'll go with a Usually an eight or a nine knot treble, just in the just in the flesh and the side of the face as a stinger. That's only that's usually when we're using bigger baits. Yeah, and you're just using enough weight to keep them allow them to be mobile and move around a little bit. Yeah, I usually use about a six ounce weight on a pound or a two pound carp, just enough to. It all depends on what kind of rig you're fishing. Some guys fish Carolina. Some I use a I my my rig of choice is a is a three way rig basically with a with a big peg float or a, a big styrofoam float on it to keep the bait vertical in the water column and I'll mm -hmm. peg it I'll peg it to the ground with a six ounce weight and give them a two foot leader to go out there and and dance around all night and call it Mr Big for me <laughs> yeah yeah ringing the d dinner bell for him. There you go. <laughs> now, are, are most of your lakes, are, are, are they uh, flood control lakes, or are they man-made, or what are they? They're, they're, they're man-made, dammed up water reservoirs, really. It's a, you know, we're in the desert. You know, we've been in a, in a, in a I think, like a 13-year or 14-year drought, but we still, uh, the way that the SRP and some of the different agencies that are responsible for Controlling the water, they kind of funnel all the snow melt and all the rainwater from up north into a couple 
reservoirs basically is what they are that hold water and uh, they switch from different reservoirs different time of the year depending on the water water need that the valley has so um, they're they're all dammed up basically they found a, a low po low point of a mountain range and, and built a dam up in front of it and uh, filled her up with water did they leave did they leave any structure when they built them or did they just plow it all off no it's it's all structure I mean we're fishing some of the rock piles are you know 30 40 foot tall of just gigantic boulders stacked up and the the geographical or the, the topographical terrain that we're fishing is it's pretty amazing especially from a from a, a catfishing standpoint you know there's a definitely lots of nooks and crannies and structure piles and it's fun. A lot of wood or just mainly rocks? Mainly rocks. When they when they do drain one reservoir into another, you'll get the you'll get the water flow that comes down through the river and it'll it'll strip out trees and bring brush with it. And you can fish log jams and stuff like that, but rarely rarely do they flow like that and, and you know, sometimes they don't stay together all year long. So I'd say most right. of the, most of the time we're fishing we're fishing rock structure. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah, that was my next question, and you just answered. Oh, you guys are fishing mainly. Are you day, night, or you guys are mainly night fishermen, aren't you? We're bait fishing by day and cat fishing by night. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm the I'm the opposite. <laughs> I get my baits during the night and fish during the day for flatheads. Yeah, we went out, uh, like I said, I went out last Thursday and Friday, and uh, you fish for bait. Depending on depending on how they're biting, you know, they're just now starting to turn on this year, so we spent a good seven hours to get six bluegill and I think six carp. So, you know, we can't, we can't, we can't, we can't stop at the bait store and buy bait. You know, we can't transport anything other than, than little baby minnows, so... You've almost got to be a proficient bait fisherman to be a successful flathead fisherman. In this, in oh, this yeah. Sometimes I think we spend more time trying to catch bait than we do trying to catch a fish that we're targeting. Absolutely. That's the truth. Yeah. Now, uh, what time do your tournaments start and what time do your tournaments end? Uh, really, the structure right now is we've been going with a, a three-day, two-night event. So... All the tournaments right now, they start at 4 p.m. on Friday. We have first weigh-in is from 10 to 11 on Saturday, and we have a final weigh-in from 9 to 10 on Sunday. Oh, so, wow. Okay. So we, you guys are got, doing Ironman tournaments. Ironman, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. You know, it's uh, it's, it's just the way we fish back here. You know, when we, when we were back there with those boys, if, if we had the waterways and the, and the resources that you guys have back there, I'm sure we'd be fishing. A lot, a lot, uh, a lot less, a little more convenient. But we we've got what we have to work with, so you know we. Yeah. The typical I trip. Go ahead. I used to fish like that. Now that I'm an old man, I gotta have my sleep. But I, <laughs> I know what uh, I know what you're doing. I've been I've done them Ironman tournaments before. Well, yeah, yeah, that's where the that's where the big pontoon boats come in handy. You know, some of these guys have got beds <laughs> yeah. on their boats, and you know, Flathead Ed's got a camouflage lazy boy, and he's got a a water mister and a hand wash station, and he's just some of them take it to the next level. But it's uh, a <laughs> <you know, laughs> uh, it's not unlike any of us to spend 
three, four, five, seven nights consecutive on the water. You know, we get out there at any given weekend. There's between between ten and thirty guys out there, so it's a you know you got you, can, you always know when somebody's out there. You'll find a you'll find a beach with thirty boats on it, and somebody's cooking breakfast or somebody's cooking lunch. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about right there. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah we, now, we most of the lakes that you guys are fishing, uh, how how big are they? How many acres are we talking of water? Uh, I'll let Bill get on Mr. Google or SRP's water report here. I know Bartlett, like one of the one of the most popular lakes here in the state that most of us fish is, I'd say from the dam to to about as far as most of us fish is probably eleven miles. But that's a that's a meandering canyon and going back and around cuts right. and stuff like that. So um, I'd say a good ten or eleven miles long, maybe, and, and at its widest point, maybe three quarters or maybe a mile wide. Oh, cool! All right. Lake, Lake Pleasant's a lot bigger. Um, I don't want to take a guess on on how long that is. If I had, I'd say probably fifteen miles or so long, but that that's just a guess. Yeah, so plenty of places to fish and uh, plenty, oh, yeah. plenty of places for them guys to hide that you're trying to find the fish. Yeah, it looks like Bartlett, which is a, a lake that we all fish a lot, looks like it's about 105,000 acre feet. Oh, okay, cool. So I don't know if that gives you a better idea. And then Lake Pleasant, I would say, is probably five or six times that size, yeah. so maybe six or 700,000 acre feet. Wow, okay. All right, well, appreciate you guys being on the show. No problem. Appreciate you guys having us. Enjoy it. Your turn, Lyle. All right, guys, I want to talk to you all about the tournaments that you have out there and the size of turnouts that you guys are having. I mean, I, Bobby, I think we talked about this down in, down in the, at the conference, but, uh, you know, you, you have outstanding numbers show up to these tournaments out there. Yeah, we've, uh, I think last year we had 198 registered. Um, the the Flat Cat Classic, which is the one that's coming up here in a month, that's that's been the most popular event. Um, some of the other ones are getting close to it, but that's uh, it's been the most popular. We're pulling. We've had some guys fishing from Texas, Oklahoma, California. California. Yeah, we got Morgan and Anthony that come out faithfully every year from California. And if they're watching, what's up, guys? See you in a couple weeks. But um, yeah, we we've had a We've had amazing success with what we're doing out here, and it's it's been uh it's been pretty cool to and see it. It's growing every year like crazy. Every one of our tournaments have grown by you know thirty forty percent every year. And what do you attribute that to, guys? Social media. I think it's all about uh, you know Facebook and and uh, our website. I mean our website gets crazy traffic. You know the week before a tournament, and I think Facebook <laughs> is the best way that. We've been able to share information about our tournaments and get the word out there. And you know, you share it, or your friend shares it, and you're just the whole chain just goes. And people we would never have exposure to through uh, through social media and the word of mouth are, are hearing about these tournaments and getting involved. Well, and I think I think another key point is um, nobody that organizes or helps put on these tournaments fishes in the events. We, we have a set of rules that we stick by, we stand by, whether it's a good friend of mine, whether it's my brother, or whether it's somebody I've never met. You know, the, the my main goal from day one has been uh, keeping the reputation of this club and, and then my name and the name of the tournament. So, you know, we, we try to we try to everything to be cut and dry. We make we make people sign off that they've read the rules, and, and we just try to 
try to keep it a fair and honest event. And I think people appreciate that. And I think they keep coming back year after year because we, we stand by what we say we're going to do. And, and, you know, we try our damnedest to do it. Uh, I have to tell you, with, with some of the tournament directors out way east of you, uh, picking favorites and not standing by rules that they have wrote themselves to do it correctly is a big part of why you guys' success rate is, is where it is. Uh, Jody Harrison would like to know what you guys doing for keeping fish alive and how do you keep your bait alive out there in the heat you all have? <laughs> Uh, the bait, the bait is definitely a chore. You know, in uh, mid-August or mid-July, when we've got a 118 degrees outside and the surface temperature and the and the first five foot of the water columns in the in the upper 90s, um, most of us use uh, circulating live well pumps, um, direct drawing out of the lake and constant flow through our through our holding tanks. Um, I've I've been known a lot of guys are you know you pull a fish out of 15 feet of water put it right back in a basket and sink it right back down to 15 feet of water for your bait anyways. Um, as far as the as, as, as handling and, and, and keeping a large fish, um, that's one of the reasons we run two weigh-ins. So we're, we're not asking people to hold them very long. Um, I do still allow the use of decoy back um, only because I've had tremendous amount of success using them. Uh, we haven't had any dead loss that I'm aware of by using them. And uh, most guys carry gigantic totes on their boat that they keep everything, including the kitchen sink, in until, the, <coughs> until right after they land their, their, their fish and they dump everything on the floor and fill it up. And now that becomes their uh, their main chore for the night is keeping that fish good until way on the next morning. We, we've had great luck using the, uh, the, the bags, the, what are they, the wastelings from Bottom Dwellers Tackle. The, uh, I mean, David's yeah. been amazing. Every time I talk to him, he just comments how many how many wastelings he keeps sending to Arizona. He says that uh, Arizona has, is leading the nation in wastelings because they're just great. They're great for the shore fishermen. They can you know go out there and, and put the, the catfish in five or six feet of water and you know be able to suspend it off the side of my boat or if I want to drop it down 20 feet and just some cooler water with a higher oxygen level. Those wastelings are amazing. So you actually put the fish in the wasteland. Fasten the top of it up and lower it down into the water to keep it uh, cool and, and get the most oxygen it can get. Oh, I put that fish in the wasteland and I put three zip ties across the top of it so that fish is not going to get out of there. And then I right. drop it as far as I can get it. Now, that's ever, I've never heard that. That's, that's a new one for me. Do you guys, uh, do you have to add any weight to that to get it to go down? Oh, yeah. you gotta you got to put a, a good size anchor on the bottom of it to keep it down. You don't right. want to ground down in there, you know. But we had a lot of eyes turned when we brought up the decoy bags when we were back back at the convention and talking with a lot of guys. And the thing I kept trying to explain was we're dealing with extreme water temperatures and extreme heat temperatures, and you know, so to be to be trying to handle you know a 110 quart cooler full of frozen water bottles, or to expect a you know to keep a, a a fish that you just pulled out of 25 alive pumping water from the surface is, is not really feasible. So, you know, that's why we still do allow the, the catfish slings and the, and the decoy bags to, to so these guys can catch these fish, take care of them properly, and get them right back down, you know, into the depth of water that they were caught in um, and hold them, you know, and, and straight away as soon as they can get their, get their vessel. Right. 
Well, that's a that's a great idea. You know, I, I have uh, never thought about that. Of course, we have big live wells and stuff, and and I believe that the hottest tournament that I ever fished was. I don't know, three, four, five years ago, we was up in Louisiana, Missouri. It was 108 at weigh-in. And uh, everybody's fish survived except one guy's, and they wasn't real big. But I think his live well pump had quit that day, and he found people that at the uh, uh, at the weigh-in that would take the fish, and he disqualified himself, which is the honorable thing to do and the right thing to do. Uh, but, you know, very seldom do, do any of us lose fish simply because we're set up for that. But that is the neatest trick that I've heard of in a long time is putting them things in the uh, in Dave's way slings and lower them in the water. That's just an outstanding idea. And, and uh, you know, i got to tell you, I, I think coming out there would be a ton of fun. I'd love to do it. But when it's 118, this old fat man ain't coming out there. I'm going to tell you that right now. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, we can get the. All you got to do is bring a set of trunks and jump in the water every thirty minutes. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> well, I'll tell you. Uh, you know, I have a, a really good friend of mine. That day I was telling you about, it was a hundred and eight here at weigh in. Uh, Daryl Gibbler fished that tournament by himself. His son had to work. They usually fished together, and Daryl got so hot that he pulled up on a sandbar and got down underneath the side of his boat in the shade and laid there in the water to cool off. When he come in to weigh his fish in, I, I thought that he was in bad shape, and he probably wasn't as good as what he was, but he said he'd have never made it if he hadn't got down in there, and, and, and he's uh, older than I am, so, you know, uh, he said if he hadn't have done, gotten that water to cool down, he said he didn't think he could made it that day. So I can only imagine uh, what a 118-degree day on the water would be like. That's just unbelievable. Uh, yeah. Jerry... Jerry Dillard would like to know how how hot the water temperatures get out there in a hot part of the summer. I've seen I've seen 97, 98 on my fish finder before up in the shallows. Um, you know, it, it's main lake. What we consider main lake is well, towards the deeper part of the lake where you've got 150 foot deep holes. You might see when I see 98, 97 upriver and, and 10 feet. You know, the the main lake temperature might be 89, 87 somewhere in there. Um, some of it depends when they if they open one of the dams or, or if they're letting water in and water out at the same time. You get the you get the flow through the bottom. It'll churn up and you'll get a little bit of fluctuating temperatures. But I'd say 98, 97, somewhere right in there, which which makes uh, fish care definitely uh, your top priority when you're. But once you get down below that, once you get down six foot or so, you, you get down it cools off exponentially. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. Uh, we have another question in our chat. Jody Harrison would like to know: Does anyone use oxygen out your way when it, in those temperatures? And if they do, how does that work? You know what? We went to the catfish conference, and since then, I've been to the doctor. I have a prescription for medical oxygen, and I'm putting it in my life well. <laughs> I don't know anybody else is doing it, but I'm going to do it at the next tournament. Yeah, I think you that might—I think that might be one of the solutions to our bait issues in the dead of summer is getting some you know the the diffusers that we that they had showed us that it's just stuff that we had never seen we, we weren't aware of it and uh, somebody had a nice little display and kind of gave us the ins and out of it and I think uh, I think here in the next couple months Arizona's probably going to be on its way to using a lot of oxygen especially in the dead of summer I was on the phone with uh, with even with bottom dwellers again today for probably 45 minutes going over exactly how to build it what I needed to do and the right <laughs> regulator and the right 
It's in the works. Well, I, I have a couple of medical bottles. I, I, there's really no necess, no need for it to have medical quality uh, oxygen. You will be just fine with regular oxygen from a settling place. Uh, but I do have the medical bottles, and and uh, what we do, of course, like you, you you have to learn your situation. But I just turn it on the the uh, regulator on the lowest setting and just let her sit there run. The trick to oxygen, uh, in my opinion, and Doc, you correct me if I'm wrong here, but uh, is not how much you get in there because you can get too much in there. The the thing is yeah. getting it broke down into the smallest bubbles that you can make it happen with, and the fish will be so happy when they go in there, and they'll be wild as a March hare when you pull them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a trick. Just keeping the keeping the bubbles small, uh, get them as fine as you can get them, and then just keep it at the lowest heading, one to two liters an hour. That's plenty enough for them. You know, just keep it on and. That does a real good job on it. Yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the guys are using, uh, you know, going to the scuba shops and, and getting their oxygens and tanks and stuff there also. Uh, you know, getting, you know, you get the diffusers from, you know, Fish Life, uh, other places like that, bottom dwellers. But, you know, getting your oxygen, you know, the uh, the scuba shops is a, is a really good place to get. And from what I understand, the prices are really reasonable also. Hmm. Well, keep Trying it in one month. Are they comparable, Chuck, to uh, to uh, acetylene places? You know, like well, cutting know. The, places. The the size bottle that we had on our table at um, at the conference, uh, Paul Strauss went and got his bottle that size. I think it cost him three or four dollars to fill up at the uh, oh, man. scuba shop. And that's the only place that he could find that he wanted to keep the blue bottle because of the uh, the sponsorship that he has with Fish Life. Um, you know, and that's one of the only places he could find that would actually fill the bottle without exchange. Um, so, he, you know, he he went that route, and, you know, it was $4 to fill it. So That's um, cheap enough. Yeah, it's very yeah. well. But well, guys, uh, what, what a lot of guys are going to do is, you know, uh, Jody had talked about, you know, just getting the large tank at home and transferring to your small tank before every tournament. And you make sure you're topped off and you're uh, you're ready to roll, um, so you won't run out, you know, in, in the middle of the day. Especially if you if you catch early, um, you know, you, you've got enough to last the whole tournament for sure. Vince Nagadowski just said the same thing in the chat that says he's going to get a full-size welding tank bottle and just transfer it over, uh, you know, and fill every time. Jerry Dillard says that you guys out there in Arizona don't have the market cornered on jumping into water. They do that down in Texas where it gets hot down there too. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've got to figure something out. I think. Uh, you know, we're all working. We're kind of waiting for Mr. Bill here to get his oxygen tank figured out and see what uh, see what he's going with that. And I think that might be the the missing the missing link to our chain here. So, well, you know, we'd like to know how that works out when you get that done, Bill. If you contact me or or maybe we get you back on the show to tell us how it works out. Uh, if it doesn't, why you don't think it worked out? But I'm sure that it will. And let us know how that works because you guys are uh, like Jerry. You're in extreme conditions compared to a lot of us. You know, in my area we have extreme current. Your area you have extreme heat. I guess we've all got a little some kind of uh, a deal that goes on. But 
when you're talking about 118 degree temperature, if that oxygen can make a big difference, especially on your bait, uh, yeah. that'll be a major deal for you guys. Yeah. There's hoping. <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah. yeah. I, I'd like to hear how it works out for you if you wouldn't mind letting us know because I think that's a, a great way to go. And that, uh, here's another point. That catfish fish conference brought these guys information. That's one of the big things about it. You know, they needed information. They found it, and it was at the catfish conference. That's exactly right. So heads up to Steve Douglas and Jeff Jones because, you know, there was a lot of information that was shared there that, you know, that I, I didn't even pick up until I was there. You guys didn't even pick up. So that, that that's cool. There's a lot of it we don't know about that went on. There were some guys back there talking that if the rest of us knew what they was talking about, because some of them guys that was talking with each other, they shouldn't have been allowed to talk to each other. They're already too hard to handle these tournaments. Yeah. Yeah. Bobby Vargas says to make sure that you don't get any grease or oil in your regulators. It'll blow them up, I, and I agree with that. It doesn't oh, yeah. take much to, to upset them. They're, they're uh, uh, pretty, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, they can be messed with pretty easy. Uh, uh, I, I own my own welding company, and I have to agree with that last comment. Uh, anything yeah. controlled, anything controlled, yeah. anything compressed is enough. <laughs> so, good point there, uh, whoever made that comment. Yeah, Bobby yeah. Barnes. He evidently has run into that issue before, and I know I have. And, and when we had to shop and and had cutting torches and stuff there, you know, it didn't take very much oil to mess them regulators up. They just can't stand it. Yeah, and they they also say uh, you know when you're putting your installing your valves and everything, don't don't use any kind of Teflon tapes or anything because when you thread them down in, that will also break loose and can do damage. So that the brass fittings seal good enough themselves, so don't yeah. use any kind of additives on the uh, on the threads at all. Most of your brass fittings should be a tapered fit, so I agree with that. Yeah, you shouldn't need much of anything on there. Just set it down and good to go. Right, and even the ones you know that uh, that go to the straight into the bottle, they um, they I tightened it down, and there's no way it's going to leak. Oh, no, sir. I'm excited. 198 boats in a tournament. That may be the biggest ever that I've heard of. Well, it's it's uh 198 boats. It's it's. It's not 198 boats. After talking with you and talking with Bridges and a couple other guys, we're, we're not running 198 boats. Um, we don't really run a team event. I, I also allow multiple guys on a, on a one boat, so I don't have the same structure that they do. So uh, after getting back and talking with a couple people, um, I'd say we're definitely up there, but uh, I didn't have 198 boats, so I just wanted to click on that. Okay. You had 198 entries. Okay, that's that's still an outstanding number. For the middle of the desert, that's an accomplishment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm pretty sure you're right. You know, I I thought always thought of Arizona up until the last few years when social media got so big and everybody from out your way started posting pictures and stuff about those big flatheads you guys catching. You know, I the only reason I ever seemed to go to Arizona is go out there elk hunting, but now. Uh, I don't do any of that any longer, so I'm thinking that flatheads would be a definite uh, reason for me to be there. But if it's going to be 118 degrees, I'm going to tell you right now, it'd be winter when I come out. 
Well, I tell you, we definitely do a lot of winter fishing out here too, Lyle. So, any of you guys want? It never to freezes out? up, does it? No, it no. never freezes no. up, does it? Yeah, no, I didn't figure that it probably did. No, so no, you, you guys basic basically fish year round. All year, all year round. Yes, sir. Mm. Yeah. Does the bite slow down in the winter? Uh, do they uh, slightly go dormant? Does the bite slow down during the uh, deepest part of winter, or is it on all winter? It's crazy, like November, early December, and then about just before Christmas, is, it really, really slows down until, you know, mid-February. Yeah. Do, do y'all get that uh, that uh, YouTube sensation Chris Flores off out there to fish with y'all? No, I don't believe so. No, we haven't yet. He hadn't, he hadn't been out to visit y'all? Uh, no. Yeah, no. We'd, we'd, we'd like to have anybody that wants to come out. So. Yeah, I didn't know how far he was. He's New Mexico, I believe. Oh, he was at the Catfish Committee. He was at the conference. I actually did meet right. him. No, I, uh, yeah. no, we haven't had a chance to get him out here yet. Maybe we'll, uh, we'll work on that yeah. for next year. Yeah, he's he watching. Him and his... Yeah, he fishes those Him little uh, irrigation. Yeah, they fish those irrigation canals and all that, and uh, some really sharp stuff that he does. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, any, we well, might have well. to figure that out. It's totally different than what we used to. <laughs> From what <laughs> yeah. everybody, thought, it was just it was shocking the the glaring difference as we talked to people at the conference and. Everybody was exchanging tips and giving pointers. At, you know, all the different seminars that were going on. Bobby and I just kind of Bobby and, and Mike and I just looked at each other, thinking none of this applies to us. We're totally in a whole different category and a totally different. <laughs> so, so y'all were saying you could not transport fish or bait. So all of your bait has to be caught out of the lake that you're fishing in. That is correct. Uh, other than other than tiny minnows, we're only allowed to transport tiny minnows and water dogs and water dogs. Okay, so do y'all do y'all let the guys go out and catch bait before the tournaments, or is that done uh, after the tournament starts? No, they're allowed to catch bait whenever they want to. They okay. can catch bait all the way up. The only thing I, I we we start registration. I used to do a pre-registration, but now we start registration at 10 a.m. the Friday of the event. So they can they can even come out that Monday and fish for bait four nights or however long they want. Yeah, as long as uh, as long as they're not fishing for catfish or, or uh, you know try to weigh in one that's that was caught during that time, which you know we've got the we've got the polygraph in place, so we we try to cover all all bases that way. Great. So y'all, but you know having three polygraphs that really has to take a toll on um, you know the you know the money going to your um, trail you know so what does that end up costing y'all per per event for you know having three uh, how much six hundred dollars a tournament so yeah they, they charged you two hundred dollars per team yep that's pretty reasonable it is that's a great price most places is almost yeah. at one Five six hundred dollars just for one, right? Yeah, depend on who's doing it, what type of machine they have, and how new it is. There's a lot of variables, but yeah, uh, yeah. the cheapest yeah. I found was like four hundred and fifty, uh, and so we just put them on a retainer deal, and and if there was a problem, then we called them and 
and we'll get them in like on a Monday, but you have to tie up everything to then. But you know, if you got a guy that'll do three hundred six hundred bucks, that's a steal in that game. It is. I mean, people pray that nobody fails one because they have to end up paying for two because you've got to give second place one if first place. <laughs> and and that's you, right. You'll go in the hole. Um, you know, you know, at eighty percent. Uh, you know, that right there. You know, twelve hundred bucks. Well, a lot of a lot of these little small tournaments, they they can't survive doing that now. A bigger tournament that they can kind of go along with them because they got different structuring on sponsorships and monies and different things. But these small trails, so many of them, uh, they have to do it like we did because you, there's no way that you can have a guy sitting there and, and do it and come out. A lot of times you lose money, and a lot of the uh, participants of these tournaments they don't understand that. But uh, being on that end of it for a long time, I do understand it, and it doesn't take much. Uh, to lose money in a tournament. We lost money in several of them. You know, even if cold front moves through or bad weather moves through and you go ahead to turn, have, and have the tournament and by the time you get done, uh, you know, you, you've lost money on it. But you got to do it because you said you was going to. So, right. uh, but yeah, you really have to be cautious with stuff like that. Yeah, especially the tournaments that leave themselves wide open for it. I mean, they have to give them because, um, you know, you know when you're when you're trailering and and no live oil checks and uh, all that good stuff. Uh, you know you've got to, you know you've to totally got to you know give a darn. I think they ought to get first, second, and third because even if these guys you know don't win, uh, you know you're still if if a guy cheated and and got second or third place, they're still um, you know taking people's money and, and not doing it right. So Well, from my perspective, if it's earning money, they should be tested, but you just can't afford to do that. Right. You know, you really can't. You know, if they play uh, 20 places, the tw top 20 teams should, should be tested, but my, I don't know how you'd ever afford it. You know, and, and I've, I've thought that uh, somebody could scrounge up the money and do that. He could make a pretty good living just doing fishing tournaments. Oh, he could, yes. Um, yeah, it's very hard to... You know, go to these tournaments, and knowing people was able to go out on the water at at 4:30 and drop their baits at 6:30, um, and even if they don't win, um, you know, you're thinking, God, somebody, somebody's not doing it right. You know, and, right. and they're getting away with it. Um, yeah. You know, and some guys probably hope they don't win. You know, if they're if they're not doing it right, so, um, you know, that's just yep. I guess the gentleman's agreement. You just hope everybody's playing by the rules and everything. They, they have to. Well, Bobby and Bill, thank you guys so much for being on the show with us tonight. It, it was great having you guys on there and learning about how the different things you do out in Arizona is from what we do out here and and. Uh, I had a great time with you at the at the conference. I wish that audio hadn't have stripped out on us, but you know things happen sometimes when you're doing live shows. And uh, this this I hope this kind of backs up some of the people that wanted to see you on here. And, and you guys are doing wonderful things out there. And, and congratulations on on your tournaments. And I hope to see continue to see it grow. I know there's a lot of guys on Facebook that are a member of your your organization out there and they just think it's the greatest thing in the world and I am quite sure that it is uh, and, and we just can't thank you enough for being here with us tonight. 
Well, thank you for the opportunity. And if any of your listeners have any questions or want to learn more about the Arizona Catfish Conservation Association, or the ACCA as we call it, our website is www.catfishaz.com. All right. Thanks out. again, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, nice meeting uh, Chuck and Lyle at the, at the event. And uh, we'll meet you sometime, hopefully, at the second annual conference. Uh, well, you know, when, when we get down there, you guys try to make a uh, take time out because we've talk, I've already talked to Steve. We're, we're supposed to be doing another live event out of there next year. So, yeah. Uh, uh, you guys make sure you come around and we'll talk about some more of that by then. You know, and, and like I said, we've already had guys in chat ask us. We wanted to give us their phone number so you could tell them how that oxygen system worked out down there. So be sure and let me know, and we'll post that up on uh, Catfish Weekly's Facebook page for everybody to see when you figure out how it works and how good, it, how much difference it makes and all that stuff because I'm quite sure you're going to enjoy that very much. I'm excited. I'm excited. learned a lot about it in, back in Kentucky and we're taking your guys' technology and your techniques from, from back east, and we're bringing it out west. Hey, that's what it's all about, is sharing information and making sure everybody's got the best uh, best information they could get. And, and like Doc said a while ago, that catfish conference, uh, to be as successful as it was the first year, from here on out, it's only going to get bigger and better every year. It blew me away for sure. <laughs> Well, thanks again, guys. We've got some other business we're going to take care of, and we appreciate you being on the show, and Ed, we'll get you back on here and visit it again. All right. Thank you. All right, thank you guys. Have a good night. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Man, that was, that was some great information them guys shared with us. That deal with that, that wasteling is just too cool to yeah. zip-tie that, that top of it, put an anchor on the bottom of it, lower it down in there. That's... Uh, I honestly believe the problems that, that people have with live wells, or live wells, decoy bags is they don't sink. They stay up on the top of the water, and those yeah. fish don't stay wet, and they don't get oxygen. Therefore, they die. Now, if they, if somebody had actually lowered something or put a brick in there or whatever to lower them down, they would have probably been better off to do that. But the fish will swim down, and it hits the bottom of that decoy bag. It stops. Therefore, it doesn't get in enough water to survive, and I think that's the problem with decoy bags. But that deal with that wasteling, that's a great idea, and I'm so glad it works for them guys out there. Yeah, I'm yeah. wondering if, if, if they get into drift and if that's still going to work, you know, if the, if the fish is being pulled back. I don't, I don't know, know about that. that. I think you'd have to be sitting perfectly still for that to work. Yeah. yeah, I don't. Every time that I ever forgot to to drag up a fish and moved it, even with the trolling motor, they didn't survive very long. No, <laughs> no you have not done that. Tell me. I, I want to tell you what I've done it on, Doc. It wasn't catfish. I, I'll tell you right quick. Cindy and I, I have a really good old friend, older guy. His name is Bill Ray, and, and Bill lived in, out outside of Springfield, Missouri. We'd go crappie fishing. And of course, I worked all day, and he, he was at the shop most of the time. We'd go out there, and, and uh, we'd crappie fish till, I don't know, midnight or 1 or 2 in the morning. We get ready to go in, and I can't tell you how many times old Bill forget to bring the basket in. So when you get back, all the fish was dead. And two or three times, the basket and everything was gone. So we caught all the fish for nothing. Now, this was several years ago, but uh, we would sit out there and have a few beverages and, and have a really good time. And he was just such a great friend to have. And, uh, but, yeah, I, I have done that in them baskets with crappie, and they're always dead. I mean, every time. They never survive.
you know, uh, I want to, before we get to closing statements, I, I want to mention that, uh, Doc, you guys had a really good day, finished, what was it, seventh in a tournament you was in over the weekend? Yeah, at Rocky Fork Lake. Man, that's 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 an outstanding good day, and I you know you can talk about them channel cat them guys caught, but you know 17, 11, 11 fish, uh, seventeen over eleven pounds or something. That's yeah. unbelievable. Had, had seventeen channels over eleven pounds. Man, uh, that's outstanding. Fifty pounds won the tournament. Uh, Vince puts that tournament on. Uh, it's a spring tournament. It's you know it's getting bigger and bigger every year. Uh, it's a lake here in Ohio that uh, is well known for having uh, big channels, and uh, a lot of a lot of guys look forward to that tournament. I think he had two, maybe three of them last year, and uh, it's you know a lot of guys fish hard on that on that lake. It, it's an outstanding lake. Oh, it is. That's some, that's some really good numbers. I want to give a shout-out to Craig Shoemate and his dad, Rudy. They won the Twisted Cat Outdoor Tournament uh, up here in Lexington, Missouri this this weekend. Good job, fellas. Uh, I, I don't never did catch what that fish weighs, but it had to be in the upper 60s. That was a really great fish. Uh, pretty tough entries. Uh, from what I've heard, the fishing was pretty tough, and, I, and I'm not sure how many entries they had, but I understand that the, it was pretty tough. And, and uh, you know, to catch a fish like that in tough conditions, that's really good. And and Jerry, uh, Craig's dad had just bought a new Sea Ark, so uh, that's the way to take care of them, them boats. You know, take them out for the first time, jump in the water, and win you a tournament. And, you're you're good to go. That never happens to me, but I'm glad it happened to them. That's a good job, fellas. Chuck, what do you got for closing statements tonight? Yeah, I just want to uh, congratulate um, Aaron Churchwell and Cody Haynes. They won the uh, the the tournament on Lay Lake this weekend. The the Hill Jacks come up from uh, the Phoenix City Columbus area, and uh, they did a little pre-tournament for the uh, Cabela's this coming weekend for the Super. And um, them guys got it done on a very tough bite. The uh, the big fish was a 42-pound flathead somewhere in that area. I, I don't know the exact weight, but some guy in a John boat, the old dreaded John boat, showed up and took big fish. Um, but them guys, that uh, that Aaron, he's being um, a force to reckon win whatever tournament he shows up at. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's getting up there, and... Um, He's going to um, really be somebody to look out for here, you know, in the southeast on these southeast tournaments. He's he's got a really good attitude, um, and I, I'm really impressed with him. He's he's somebody that's going to be um, very impressive. Um, we got that Cabela Super event coming up Friday Saturday this week. Um, so as soon as I get off of this, that's going to be my main focus the rest of the week. So. I probably won't see anybody on Facebook or anything. I'm gonna have to uh, figure out how to catch him booger. Saturday, the the bite was so rough we couldn't even pre-fish. We don't we don't we're back at ground zero. We spent a day fishing and still don't know what we're gonna do. <laughs> that happens. I mean, I mean, it's so rough. We got two fish in the boat doing two different things. Um, so you know we. Um, I mean, we mostly, you know, did a lot of scouting and stuff. Uh, we went to different part of the river that we're not used to, which 
that what we vowed to do this year. We're we're not going to do any honey hole fish, and even if it's places that we know we can catch big fish, we're going to fish our local events just like their uh, out of town events. We're going to go to new parts of the river, and uh, we're going to earn it. Um, we're going to try to use our skill, find them in the section of rivers we choose, and and um, you know see how we can do that way. That's all, right. all I got, Lyle. And uh, what you got, Doc? Well, I'm gonna. Uh, this is my first night on the show, and I kind of come up with a few things to do uh, at the end, like we're doing now. We're gonna have a. I'm gonna call it Doc's Tips and Tricks, and I don't know how well this is gonna work out because I'm still getting used, trying to get used to this camera, but. Uh, <laughs> Here in uh, Ohio, the skipjacks are just now probably starting to run. They'll start really heavy in about mid-April. Uh, I know I've gotten reports that they're starting to come in on the Tennessee River and stuff like that. And a lot of people, you know, they want to get in there and they want to get catch their skipjacks and, you know, get to fishing. A uh, couple of things that I really like to use are these foley spoons get those at bottom dwellers that's real popular along with uh, <clears throat> crappie jigs and one of the things that uh, I've done over the last couple of years is you know you can have all that kind of stuff all tied up and ready to go and then when you bring it out it's it ends up in my hands it ends up being a big mess so I'm trying to I'm spending time trying to get this thing untangled and what I've come up with now is I take a, about a 20 pound leader and just like this and about uh, three feet long and all you do is take the end and you loop it over and then you tie an overhand knot right on that just give me a second here They'll learn how to do this on a camera, just like that. So what you end up with is a, a loop. Now, what you can do is go to about 18 inches above that. Do it again. Tie another overhand knot. Hold it up just a little bit, Doc. All right, hang on, man. Yeah, like I say, I'm still using it. So that's what there's, there's what you got right there. You, you end up having a series of like two or three, whatever you want. Now, what this does is it allows you to take that Foley spoon and you bring it through the, the eye right there, pass it through the eye, and then take the Foley spoon and just bring it in there and cinch that down. Now, that ends up being a quick disconnect. If you got to change colors, you have to change colors all you have to do is undo it again and put the next one on there the other thing it does is you put one on the very end of the line and that allows you to adjust your weight the size of your weight so the weight can be down at the bottom and then you got two foley spoons that are sitting here hanging off your main line and they're sitting there fluttering in the in the current it can be used from the bank but it's more effective in a boat because a lot of times I'll be out in the boat and I'll just drop it straight down and then I just start jigging it out or I'll throw it out behind the boat and let it, you know, swing into the, 
into the current. But uh, that's a tip for the day, and uh, hope that works out for somebody. You can do it with crappie jigs and stuff like that, but it allows you to change the colors because we know how fanatical those uh, silver ghosts of the river get. You know, they're, they're smacking pink heads, then they switch to orange, and then they switch to dark. Uh, Chuck was saying earlier that the blue Foley spoon is a real hot ticket. I didn't know that. I know it now, though. <laughs> and so does everybody else. <laughs> well, that's what that's, tips and tricks is all about, man. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna try to share as much information every week as we can. And uh, Lyle and Chuck, I appreciate you uh, guys asking me to be on the show. Um, yeah, I, I'm real happy about that. I hope you, uh, everybody out there is uh, thrilled about it as much as I am. Well, we are very excited to have you on here. And and you know we we had talked about having the third person on numerous times. And, and really, we thought we was doing, uh, getting along just fine, and I guess we was, but uh, it's amazing how much easier it is to come up with the right questions with, like, tonight with those guys, you asked them questions that I know that I never thought about. I uh, don't know if Chuck had, had thought about some of them or not, but uh, it just makes it complete, and, and for all you guys that have asked we do miss Chris on the show. We really do. Chris was a good asset to the show, and it, it's a shame things didn't work out. But uh, Doc has, has got so much knowledge, it's going to be great to have him on here. And uh, one of these days, he's going to retire, and he'll have lots of time to fish and talk about it. He can, <laughs> then he can tell us all about all them secrets. It won't just be the little nitpick yeah. stuff. It'll be the good stuff. Oh, I yeah. Want to yeah, having, uh, you know, uh, three people is also great. Uh, because there's been plenty of times that me and Lyle, me or Lyle, neither one, needed to be on the show. There was family things that's going on that we neglected um, because of the show. Uh, now we can have those. We've got uh, a way that we can have our priorities straight and take care of those family things. Um, you know, and there's still two people to do the show while while we right. have those priorities taken care of. Yeah, yeah, that's now, exactly right. Go ahead. Yeah, Mark. in two weeks I'm going to be in Kingston, Tennessee, and I'm going to try to uh, do it from my laptop. See how I'm going to take the camera with me and see if I can get on the show using my oh, laptop. So yeah, find a good place that's got a good 4G signal. I use 4G every week. I'm on 4G right now, um, and as long as you can find a good signal, it'll stream awesome. That's that's great. Well, we're going to enjoy having you on here. I know everybody's going to love the tips and tricks segments, but just just to have the third person on here, like Chuck said, there's been a number of times that that we both should have done something we didn't, or, or, or you know, storms move in. So you know, if a storm hits and I can't broadcast, and you guys can start to show up and you can go on, uh, and and if something comes up, one of you guys will be still got two, so we'll, we'll be fine, and we're going to continue to try to get some of the best quality guests and speakers on here with us that we can get. We've got uh, we've got a whole bunch of guys lined up. I'm looking for my calendar. I can't reach it right now, but. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to keep things going and keep it as good for you as we possibly can.
again. I would like to mention that Twisted Cat Outdoors next tournament will be April the 24th at Canton, Missouri. That's going to be the Jack and Jill tournament. You must have one man, one woman in the boat. It can be uh, your daughter, it can be your wife, it can be your girlfriend, uh, and the ladies, if you got the boat, just drag out some guy off the street. Don't make no difference. Just come on down. It's $100 entry fee. It will be a great time. Uh, that area is not known for giant catfish. They have some really good channel cat, and there is some good blues up there, but sometimes they're a little uh, uh, tough to work with, but they can be caught. Uh I, I would encourage everybody that can get up there uh, to come up. There'll be an added money tournament. I haven't got the specifications on that yet, but as soon as I get them from Alex, I will let you guys know uh, that we usually fill that motel uh, in Canton. So be sure to get a hold of Alex Nagy and, and find out about the uh, hotel information because. Uh, there's not a lot of places to stay out there, but if for you gamblers, there is a casino not too far away. They sponsored the first Jack and Jill tournament we had, and it is a great time. Uh, we sat around outside a motel room and shoot the breeze and have beverages to late and what way past when we all should have been in bed. But you know that's kind of how them them things go. But it's, it'll be a great oh, yeah. time. It's a really good tournament. So if you get a chance, come on over and, and join us for that. Chuck, I see you got your little buddy there with you. Yeah, Berkeley. Berkeley. <laughs> yep, he's my he's my fishing buddy. He'll be a year old April eighth, so he hasn't been able to enjoy the boat too much, but his year is coming. So yeah, he he's his first year of fishing, so he's gonna start off right. He loves skipjack. He loves skipjack. I have to beat him <laughs> off of it, and he tries to eat all my bait. So I got to figure something out. <laughs> That's outstanding. Well, I want I want to thank Bobby Wright and Bill Reno again for being on the show with us. It was a great time with them guys, and uh, we'll be looking forward to seeing a lot more of them in, in the times to come because I'm very interested in in their their fishing and tournament stuff they have out there in the winter. Uh, I think that might be a trip we might have to make one of these days because it sounds like a great time. They catch some great flatheads out. Oh yeah, they're really. Yeah, they're just they're just giants. For Doc Lang and Chuck Davison, I'm Lyle Stokes. Thanks for watching Catfish Weekly. See you next Monday night at 7 o'clock.